paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering of Mormonism. This is Heart of the Matter in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you want your friends or family to watch the show from anywhere in the world, have them go to www.bornagainmormon.com, click on the TV show, click on Watch the Show Live, and they can watch that uh, anywhere around. In-house guests, we have a majorly full house tonight. Praise God. We have Ronnie Stern, Ty Cannon, Bruce and Suzanne Plimpton, Marcus Poole, Chad, Rich, Kevin, Lauren, Steve, Ron, Ron, Reed, Scott, Klaus, Leonard and Lyric, Jamie, a great handsome group. It makes the show much easier to do uh, when we have uh, guests like this. Some shout outs tonight. I have very few. We have Tom and Don Roach. And we have Krista, who I saw in the coffee shop the other day. God bless you all uh, for uh, your comments and everything else. Last Sunday, we had Heart in the Park 2007. It was a wonderful time, a great success. Um, thank all of you who attended. It was uh, a little bit warm out there, a little bit smoky. Uh, we had great music from Mallory McCraney, McCade, and the Rounders. We want to thank everyone who volunteered their time and talents, everyone who participated, Pastor Neil from Provo Baptist Church, Lucy and Nathan, all the churches and ministry participants who brought tables, all the volunteers who just uh, worked so hard, my school of ministry brothers. And I finally, I want to personally shout out to all 400 plus people who were there. Grateful uh, to be able to meet you and hear your hearts for the Lord. Uh, many of you are LDS. And uh, it was great to be able to see your faces there. I thank God for that opportunity. And to all those fans who couldn't make it. Now, for those of you who couldn't make it, I want to bring a little bit of Heart in the Park 2007 to you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, let me present to you the Rounders. You don't need drugs and you don't need booze. If you got Jesus, you just can't lose If you jump up for Jesus Jump up for Jesus Yeah, jump up for Jesus You can't go wrong Two old ladies living in a shed The one will be taken, the other one left Cause jump up for Jesus Jump up for Jesus Jump up for Jesus She can't go wrong yeah, jump, jump, 
jump of a Jesus, jump, jump, jump of a Jesus, jump, jump, jump of a Jesus, jump, jump, jump of a Jesus, jump of a Jesus. She can't go wrong. Let's hear that bass girl. Go, go, go. was blind but now I see I put my trust in the Trinity yeah I'm jumping for Jesus jumping for Jesus yeah I'm jumping for Jesus my whole life long yeah jump jump jumping for Jesus jump jump jumping for Jesus jump jump jumping for Jesus jump 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 for Jesus, jump for Jesus, my whole life long. Well, I'm not pretty, no, I ain't no star. Driving around in a beat up car, but I'm jumping for Jesus. Jumping for Jesus, yeah, I'm jumping for Jesus, my whole life long. Yeah, I'm jump, jump, jumping for Jesus, jump, jump. Jump of a Jesus, jump, jump, jump of a Jesus, jump, jump, jump of a Jesus, jump of a Jesus, my whole life long. I love those guys. I just love them. All their music, they do old school, they do new school, they do Christian, and I just love their style. If you want to have the rounders uh, at your church, I think a graphic's coming up on the screen, and uh, you can go to their website, if not do a Google, on the Rounders, R-O-U-N-D-E-R apostrophe S, and they will be more than happy to uh, play at your church or your event, whatever it might be. All right, last week we had my daughter Cassidy McCraney on the show, and she gave you Cassidy's Christian commentary for teens, remember, for fiery teens. And tonight, I would like to introduce you to my oldest daughter, who has some thoughts to share. Now, understand this. I believe that everybody uh, has to speak honestly and from their heart. And I think it's important that honest expression uh, is shared. That way, you can come to truth when you're being honest. And Mallory is an honest girl, and she's going to honestly share her thoughts. She's a, a songwriter. She played at Heart in the Park from New York City and uh, coming back to spend some time with us this summer. So Mallory, uh, please share your thoughts with us. I assure you I'm not as entertaining as my sister, but I'll do my best. I had some mixed emotions about coming here tonight. Um, as I told my dad when he first asked me if I'd like to come, as some might know, I'm on the proverbial fence when it comes to believing in God or a God. And for that reason, I feared I might make my pops look bad, uh, being somewhat of the lost sheep in my family. He was quick to ease my worried mind, though, being the compassionate, accepting man and father that he is, and told me this is what his show was about, loving and listening to everybody. Well, I'm starting to <laughs> rethink my decision, Dad. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the idea of God was planted in my brain from the day I was born, really, uh, and up until I was about 14, I went along in the Mormon church, obeying commandments and doing what I thought was right. When in reality, I had no testimony of Jesus or knew who he was, really. And as I've grown older and wiser, of course, 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly how or why, but I've lost touch with God, and moreover, I find myself uh, unsure if He even exists. As my dad likes to tell people, I suppose I'm now considered of the world. I don't go to church, I don't pray to anyone, and as of yet, I don't see any reason to change this lifestyle I've established, besides the fact that I know it saddens my family. And though I have chosen to, I guess, uh, live by my own standards based on what, what gives me pleasure, I still think about God and why there are so many who live by Him and His Word. Everyone has their own demons to battle, and I believe we all fight or put off fighting them in whatever way we choose in order to feel better. We fight until we uh, find nothing is working and we finally give up. And when you've reached that point where it seems like you just want to die, you're so helpless. I believe this is a very likely time for a person to turn their life over to Jesus. Because what else is there to do? What else can make me feel better and that this life is worth living? When I look at it this way, it appears to me that God is the weak man's answer. You're so sad and disillusioned that you convince yourself that God must be the answer. You force yourself to be optimistic about this heart-wrenching existence because if you don't, you won't make it. In that sense, maybe God isn't a bad thing. Some people in their utter disparity may need such a concept to survive. But I don't know if I believe he's real um, or the answer to everyone's struggle. In fact, uh, maybe he's just a nice idea that eases the pain in everyone's heart while we live day to day. And in that, suddenly everything in life, good or bad, is what is supposed to happen because God is in charge. I, uh, it seems to me that a lot of what I attribute to fate and coincidence is attributed to God by others. The other day, because of a few key decisions I made, I ended up having a really great experience. And as I was telling my mom about this, she asked me why, uh, why I thought all these coincidences were happening, clearly hinting to me that God was behind them. And I knew I would get this. I suppose that that could be true. But by the same token, why would a God just decide to make things rad for one day? I know I'm a rather arrogant youth that is rebellious at heart and definitely likes to pout amidst my sorrows in life. And perhaps it will take me one day to truly hit rock bottom before I can put my faith into Christ. But for now, I'm just not sure about any of it. There are so many people who preach their love and faith in God, who in fact have very mean-spirited, excuse me, spirited, holier-than-thou attitudes, and this just disgusts me. And at the risk of sounding trite, I try very hard to be a loving and compassionate person to everyone. And though I definitely am not perfect, I am trying, and I'm trying without basing my life around God. And is this wrong? People are constantly trying to tell me that they know God is truth in life. And how do they know? I mean, we really know nothing. And that attitude that people know only frustrates me further. So, uh, Mallory... I love her to death. Don't leave. Don't leave. This is not Cassidy's Christian commentary for teens. This is Mallory's heart for uh, searching adults. Come here. I love Thanks, you. Daddy. I love you too. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Let me make a comment on Mallory's comments. Uh, I think that she's representative, or she represents many people in this world. I think that the beauty of her comments, uh, if we're going to talk about the beauty of the comment, is that she's being honest, and that with that honest heart, with that open, searching, willing to look, but has some preconceived prejudices, that God can work with that. And I know that there are many watching our show, I get your emails, who don't believe God exists. And I think that from a certain perspective, um, you might be able to justify that. But I don't think the perspective is whole, obviously. And I think you just haven't examined everything yet. 
And I know that God is constantly calling to you and to my daughter Mallory and uh, that he is there. And in time, as you continue to search openly, just search for truth, his truth, and ask him or whatever you believe it is to just reveal truth, he will do that for you. And he'll do it for uh, Mallory and he'll do it for you. So we open, we, we invite open discussion from people's hearts at Pastor in the Pub tonight at, at Squatters. Mallory will be there if you want to ask her some questions or give her some of your thoughts. She's not afraid to fire back. Uh, believe it or not, I don't know where she gets that from. But uh, you're welcome to come down there. We do that after the show at 930 and uh, on we go. Uh, now, this is a big month for us because we are having, uh, we are starting Lord's Word, uh, a Christian triage for the religiously disaffected. If you have been burned by religion or burned by uh, religious demands or run ragged by the opinions of men, join us at the Gateway Megaplex Theaters from 9.15 a.m. this Sunday to 10.15 a.m. In the morning, we'll worship God together, we'll pray together, and we'll study His Word. Bring a Bible if you can. I want to introduce you to uh, our youth pastor who is going to share with you his intentions on how he's going to lead the youth who may come to Lord's Word. Brother Marcus. Well, what camera? There we are. <laughs> well, this is what I've always thought of. When I was raised in a youth group or a youth ministry, I had two concepts of what God was or who Jesus was. I knew that he was my savior and I knew that he loved me. That's all that I knew. That's the entirety of the knowledge that I had. So what I am planning to do, what the first Sunday that I'm teaching the teens, we want to do the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. We don't want to miss any of what Jesus did. Jesus told a parable about two houses, one house that was built on, on rock and one house that was built on sand. And storms came, and storms always come, floods came, the wind was howling and it was blowing at these houses, and the house that was built on sand was not able to stand. It, it would crumbled to nothing. And then the house that was built on a rock, that house was able to stand through the storm. And this is what we need to do with Jesus. Jesus is pictured as the rock in the scriptures. So we want to build that foundation on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And so we don't want to miss anything. We want to start from his birth, death to resurrection and learn everything that we possibly can about him. So come on, come along and see what we're going to do at the, the theaters there. And, and the Lord will definitely bless with that. All right, excellent, Marcus. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. You see Marcus if you're a youth, and he's a great uh, leader of teens and knows the word. Uh, we have had several of my brothers from the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel, Southern California, come up here and volunteer their time and kind of travel around and do different things, and I, I love them all uh, greatly. And as they and some of my family members and different people have come back after visiting Temple Square, they've all had the uh, same comments about what they saw. And the School of Ministry were a little bit different, but... Most of them said things like, uh, you know, what the missionaries were like. And many of them commented on the grounds and how beautiful it was. And the presentation, you know, is, is really good. And uh, I want to tell you that I think that uh, we have to be very careful with beautiful presentations in this life. I think that, that it, uh, it ties in. I'm not talking to my friends and family and school and ministry brothers. But when you go to Temple Square and people go there and they see this almost Disneyland-like place with perfect flowers and, and perfect presentation, they, they think, wow, this is very impressive. 
But I think it's fitting that Jesus came and Isaiah said that he was not comely. He was not beautiful. He had nothing that men would desire. He was like a dried reed grown out of the ground. And you would look at him and not desire any of his beauty. And I think that there is, can be a, a sinister nature to beauty in this world that attracts us to that side of things where the spiritual matters are really avoided. Tolstoy said, what a strange illusion it is to suppose that beauty is goodness. What a strange illusion it is to suppose that beauty is goodness. I think that uh, might be something you want to think about as you ponder Temple Square here in the Mecca of Mormonism. With that being said, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, this opportunity, the station, the airwaves, the people who are tuning in. We ask you to be with our uh, staff and uh, the volunteers, the operations, and me as I deliver this message and continue talking about LDS church history. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we left off with Joseph having conveniently received a revelation that he should take 60 or so of his Latter-day Saints and go from the New York area and move to Ohio, where Sidney Rigdon had 175 people who converted, and that would make the Mormon church in that area. I also mentioned that in the Kirtland area, there was a family whose last name were Alger, and that the Alger family had a... Uh, joined Mormonism uh, and were converted and baptized possibly and probably by Parley P. Pratt, a very big Mormon name in church history. The Algers had a daughter whose name was Fanny, uh, then 15, and in time she became the live-in maid of Joseph and Emma Smith when they moved to Ohio. All right. Somewhere between dusting the mantle and straightening the closets of Joseph and Emma, Fanny secretly became Joseph Smith Jr.'s first polygamous wife. She was 15 or 16 years old. He was 27, married with children, and the self-appointed prophet of what he said was the restored church. If you don't believe my facts, check them. You'll see. Between 1833 and 34 and 1844, or 43, Joseph probably accumulated 33 polygamous wives. He seems to have experimented in Ohio and Missouri in the early 1830s with Fanny Alger, and then there was a large gap of time where he didn't practice any more polygamy at all. And this is because um, he was, there was great suspicion going on that something was going on with him and Fanny Alger, People said that they had heard him say that he loved her and she was their maid. And people were having these suspicions, so I think he backed off from it. And then later on in the early 1840s, he started going hog wild, no pun intended, and accumulating a whole bunch of wives in a rapid period of time. In the last eight months of his life, he did not accumulate any new spouses. Some said that Joseph uh, had told them during his eight-month sabbatical when he stopped accumulating wives and when he was killed that he admitted that polygamy was wrong. Stephen Marks, a noted uh, LDS person in church history, says that Joseph told him that polygamy was wrong and had stopped doing it for those last eight months. Other people suppose that Emma... Uh, Smith found out more and more about his polygamous activities and threatened to go public to the church at that time with all of them if he didn't stop. And so that stopped him from doing it because 
if the church knew that this prophet had accumulated all these wives, um, it would have destroyed it in all probability. Smith's personal scribe, whose name was William Clayton, said Joseph talked about little else in the last year of his life. This was a guy who was by Joseph's side all the time, and that's all he seemed to talk about. In 19th century Utah, polygamy had become such a way of life that according to LDS historian Todd Compton, a monogamous could not compete, uh, could not obtain complete salvation. A monogamous could not obtain complete salvation. It seems that Joseph began to entertain the idea of polygamy when he studied the promises of God to Abraham that he would have offspring that would be as the sands of the sea, and in addition to the words to, of Jesus and Matthew, that men are not given in marriage in heaven. And as he was uh, pondering on this, this idea of polygamy somehow took shape. Over time, Joseph became more and more convinced that now, in this mortal life, it was the time to accumulate wives, and he set the model for this belief by himself in the church as it stands today. Over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to discuss the results of Joseph Smith's polygamy, including the way the lives his own plural wives ended up. And it is a sad and deplorable story. Polygamy today is a sad and deplorable story wherever you see it practiced by LDS fundamentalists, whether it be in southern Utah, whether it be secretly here in the Salt Lake Valley, or up in Oregon, or in Mexico, or where any of the little enclaves are where the quote-unquote fundamentalist Mormons, those who really took everything Joseph Smith said seriously, continue to practice what his revelation stated. Of the known plural wives of Joseph Smith, 18 were single when they married him. One was a Levite, a Levrite uh, type marriage, meaning his brother died and he married his brother's wife. So that was uh, another type of marriage he had. 11 were married to other men and living with those other men when they were sealed to Joseph for time and all eternity. That's called polyandry. Of the first 12 wives he took, nine were polyandrous. Just for your information's sake, Mormon polygamy can be broken down into three words. First, there's polygyny. Polygyny is when a man takes on more than one wife. And you know the word gynecologist, polygyny, that's how you can remember that. Polygyny means more than one wife. Polyandry means a wife has more than one husband. Okay, That played a very big part in early church history's practice of polygamy. And finally, there's a thing called polygamy by proxy, and what that is is where I would stand in as Joseph Smith in the temple, and I would have a woman sealed to me for time on this earth, but when I die, that woman will become Joseph Smith's spiritual wife. That's called uh, polygamy by proxy. So there's three aspects of polygamy that you have to understand. When we use the word polygamy, it's kind of a general uh, word, but it's really not being used the correct way when you think about it. Now, Latter-day Saints today have a number of excuses they use when they discuss polygamy, and they, to me, are just, frankly, hilarious. First of all, they say that it wasn't sexual. The polygamy that they practiced wasn't sexual. Well, Joseph Smith, admittedly, we have on record only one of his wives saying that this child of hers was his. But we also have records from um, 
different people saying that they actually caught Joseph with, for instance, Fanny Alger in a barn. Uh, uh, and the words, I, for lack of memory, or something like in the act. So we have things that uh, lead to that. We also have testimony verified by church history where Joseph spent the night with certain women at certain other people's house, uh, houses. And many of the church leaders today say, well, it wasn't sexual because he only had one. Uh, he didn't have any child and he only had one. And many of them were just to help the spiritual wifery thing that was going to go on in the eternities. But um, I just don't believe that is true in many cases. Some cases, yes, but in many cases it wasn't. But my comment is, what does it matter? I mean, if you marry somebody and they're your wife, it's, if it's sexual or not, what's the difference? Does it make it more pure because you've married someone but you don't have sex with them? It doesn't make any sense to me. So that argument's ridiculous. Uh, Latter-day Saints today say few practiced it. Few may have practiced it on a percentage basis, but anyone who was anyone who expected to have complete salvation in the Utah Valley when it was established in the 1800s was expected to practice polygamy. And it was a very big thing among the leaders. The other thing they said, they would say, is that Abraham practiced polygamy, that David practiced polygamy, that it's a biblical practice ordained of God. And any Christian knows who's read the Bible that God has never been behind polygamy, ever. That it was Abraham's wife who suggested that he take on Hagar as a wife, and it was their plan, it was man's plan. The first polygamist in the Bible was an offspring of Cain, all right? And it was not... Um, uh, Adam and Eve, obviously. It was just Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve and Jane. All right. Uh, they also, Latter-day Saints will also say that women had so few rights that uh, they needed to marry a man in order to keep those rights. However, most of those polygamous marriages were uh, kept secret, and the ones that were out in the open, the women actually had very few rights. And if you read Todd Compton's book, In Sacred Loneliness, you'll discover, this is an LDS author, that uh, them having all these new rights, new founded rights, is just not true. They also say that they had to practice polygamy in this early part of the church so as to bring forth a new uh, offspring, more offspring quicker, so as to make the church get bigger quicker and to be able to survive. That, of course, is in conflict with they didn't have sex. So I'd like to get those two groups in a room and have them talk about how that worked out. And then we have the great one where um, there are more women that will be in heaven who will need husbands to be with them, and there's not enough men that will make it to the celestial kingdom. And so there's going to be so many women there that are so great that they're going to need to share husbands. And uh, I think that infant mortality rates across the, the span of time show that many more uh, um, infant males die at, at, the, at uh, being born than women. And so, and the Mormon's view is that males go directly to heaven or women go directly to heaven if they die at birth. So there's a lot more men in heaven uh, than there are women because of infant mortality rates. So that argument is ridiculous. Bottom line, um, the reasons seem to come somewhere between Joseph liked women and Joseph wanted more than one. And he used the Bible as he was going through the retranslation process and saw Abraham and read about marriage. It just came to him. And you see, there's the danger in receiving revelation that's outside the word of God. If Joseph would have stuck to the word of God, he would have seen polygamy has never, ever turned into something that was good, that was beneficial to the people involved, and it has never been ordained of God, ever. It's a machination of the men and their flesh. And frankly, when you read uh, Todd Compton's book, the women were just as culpable in many cases. They liked the idea of being sealed to a man who had all kinds of power in the church. 
They liked the idea that they had this little husband that they put up with here on earth, but when, that, when they died, she was going to become Joseph's. I mean, that's just almost as twisted. So they were just as culpable. We can't put it all on him. All right. Uh, polygamy seemed to, it started off really that the uh, Latter-day Saint men were to marry Native American women and they were to help assimilate them into, based off the Book of Mormon, it then became a matter of salvation. It just became a matter of salvation. Um, I met a polygamist, a real live polygamist. He had um, 15 mothers and 75 brothers and sisters when he grew up. And uh, he was in the process of courting another wife when I met him. And we had a dialogue and discussion about polygamy and he was just emphatic that it's the only way to raise children. That when a man has many wives, the sister wives can take care of all those children and it's just the wonderful environment because he grew up in it. And, and I asked him, I said, well, what about the wives? I mean, what about the women involved? How do, you, how do you justify the misery of them seeing you sharing your time with another woman? And his response, this is a quote, was, salvation doesn't come easy. That was from someone who has been taught polygamy and believes in it. That salvation cannot come unless you practice it. And if a woman doesn't understand her role, the true role of God in the home as having one husband and sharing him with many wives, she will not obtain full and, uh, salvation. Now that is a crime. LDS who claim the church has nothing to do with polygamy today need to remember a few things. Doctrine and Covenants 132, we have a bumper sticker, have nothing to do with section 132. It's all about polygamy. The Doctrine and Covenants 132 talks about men becoming gods and it ties it directly into having more than one wife. It's still practiced today in LDS temples. The LDS church today says we don't have anything to do with polygamy. That is a lie. If I, if, my wife, if I was LDS and my wife died, I could get another wife and go and be sealed to her in a temple and she would be my future wife with my wife who's deceased in heaven later. And if this one died, I could get another one and another one and another one and they believe it. Gordon B. Hinckley, president and prophet of this church, I've seen you on the news say, we don't have anything to do with polygamy. That is a lie. That is a fundamental lie. I hope you will tell your members, we believe in it. It's an eternal principle. Why don't you admit it? You know you believe in it. You know it's practiced in the temple and it's in Doctrine and Covenants 132 and you don't take it out. You leave it in there. Now, members of the church, if you watch the show and hate me, fine. Check the facts, stand up and say to your bishop and stake president, remove Doctrine and Covenants 132. It's a lie and it was established by the flesh of man to gratify himself and his ego to become a god here on earth in some Greek fashion. It has nothing to do with truth in the Bible. We're going to the phones. Seven, oh, seven. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We have a call from Mark in Salt Lake City. Mark, you're on Heart of the Matter. Mark! How you doing? Doing well, how are you? Good. Just wanted to call, I'm sure you're doing a good job. Love the show again, but you finally said something I disagree with and I just <sighs> had to call you on it. Excellent, what is it? How dare you compare Temple Square to the happiest place on earth? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, but you're doing a great job, just wanted to say hi. Thanks man, thanks Mark, take care. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Listen, I want you to know, I take, uh, I guess I'm getting, giving a plug to the airlines, but I take JetBlue in and out of California. And the JetBlue flight from here to Long Beach is the Disney flight. 
I mean, it's the, it's the Disney flight people pack in that thing with their kids, and they're headed for Disneyland. And when they come back, they have all the Disneyland stuff, and they're coming back. And, you know, the Latter-day Saints, they love Disneyland. I mean, they've got the Haunted Mansion at Disneyland, where all kinds of dead people are floating around in there, and you get to go through and see them. They've got, uh, they've got, they've got uh, the mystery places. They've got the Wonderland. They've got the Magic Kingdom. I mean, the whole thing, the imagination of one guy, Walt Disney, who came up with this giant magical kingdom and the parallel are insane. So good mark, a good response, Mr. Mark. We're going to Matthew on line one. Matthew, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you? Hi, listen, I, I feel badly I wasn't able to make it on Sunday. I really uh, was hoping to, but some things came up. But uh, anyways, I, I hope it was successful. I just wanted to uh, tell you, I, I thought that was really, uh, really uh, neat that you had your, uh, your daughter on there. I thought... Uh, Oh. You know, when we were kids, uh, when I was kids, I, I definitely felt a lot the, the same way she did. I, I wasn't sure, and I think that was very courageous of you to, uh, to let her, you know, express her doubts and some of her, you know, questions that she had. And I just hope that she, she uh, finds the Lord and, uh, and uh, keeps, uh, you know, keeps looking for the right answers. Amen. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Matthew. I wish I could have seen you two at the park, but uh, thanks for your comments. I keep trying to make it down to squatters. In fact, maybe I'll try to do that this evening. Are you, um, are you single? Yeah, yeah, I am. Well, when do you compliment my daughter, buddy? Yeah, you just better. No, I'm just kidding you, Matthew. I'm just kidding you, totally. Anyways, hey, listen, uh, maybe I'll see you at squatters. If not, uh, I'll keep watching. Take All care. right, man. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Valerie from West Valley on line two. Valerie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi there. Hi, Valerie. How are you? I'm pretty good. I was a straight-A seminary student. Wow, my hat's off to you. I um, called in last time about uh, Brigham Young's 19th wife. What I have to say tonight is I understand that uh, with all the genealogies and things that go on, that um, a man, a Temple Mormon man, husband, um, there was a time, and I don't know if it's still going on today or not, that they could have up to 120 dead women sealed to them in holy eternal matrimony. Well, uh, where's that from? Because you're pretty good with your facts on the things you've sent me. Where's that from? <laughs> That's what I learned in seminary. 100, why 120? Is that like uh, 10 per month or something or what? Or the more wives that were sealed to them, the yeah. higher they got in the celestial kingdom. Yeah, that's absolutely, that doctrine is true. So, you know, up to 120 dead women sealed to a man in holy eternal matrimony. If that's not eternal polygamy, I don't know what is. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well put. I appreciate it. And the other thing is uh, secret names. A uh, man can know the woman's, but the woman can't know the man's. And if he decides not to call her forth from the grave, she stays there. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true too. Uh, there's so many things. I'll, I'll explain that one. Point I wanted to hit on. So. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Valerie. Bye. What she's talking about, when you go through the temple, and this is no secret, I'm not revealing something people don't know, you get a, a new name, and you get a, a, a name that's secret to you. The male's uh, uh, name is secret to him his whole life, and then uh, he will uh, learn his wife's name in that temple, her secret name. He's the only one who knows that secret name of hers, and when, when she dies and comes forward to come into heaven, he's the one who lets her come in, and, uh, because he knows her secret name, and... Uh, and if he decides not to let her come in, well, she's uh, out of luck. So uh, there's a lot of stuff, I, and um, I just hope you'll just uh, wake up, you guys. Let's go to Sarah from Orem. Sarah, you are on Heart of the Matter. 
You got to turn your TV off, Sarah. Yeah, it's off. Okay. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing well. My hey, um, I wanted to make a comment, um, just a quick comment, because I'm ex-Mormon, uh -huh. and I've been to the temple. But uh, one of the, one of the um, uh, things that uh, Mormons will say to you as a reason to say that God uh, was okay with polygamy is they'll, they'll point you to David and to uh, Nathan, the prophet Nathan, giving all of Saul's wives to David. Right. And if that saying, you know, if if, if, if it wasn't, if it was wrong, how come how come Nathan did that? Nathan right. Prophet of God. Well, here it is. If you if you read chapter nine in Second Samuel, uh -huh. uh, David turned right around and gave those property, the property can't wise everything back to Saul's lame son, Mephibosheth. That's right. So, uh, you know, uh, what are they trying to prove here? You know, all of that was just property. All right. it was was property as far as Nathan was concerned. He's just given everything over to David. That's right. And and when they try to use these lame excuses, there is not one place in the Bible anywhere that God commands polygamy. No, never. Not one place. And I just loved the way you went after it. I was sitting here jumping them down on my bed, and I'm disabled. It wasn't good for me. But I, <laughs> I just... Thought. Quite a sight you're putting in my head right now, but it's okay. <laughs> I just want to, just, it's just great, you know, and I couldn't come up to the picnic because of my disability problems, but uh, just keep up the great work and don't let anybody get you down. Thanks so much. We missed you. We'll see you next time. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, I want to mention, kind of clarify that, what the Latter-day Saints will say is that um, uh, Nathan gave David uh, all of uh, King Saul's wives and donkeys and animals and everything else. And it was because he was going to care for those things that had been established. Now, you're not going to believe this, maybe, but I heard Chuck Smith, who's someone who has is, is kind of been a mentor to me, have a call-in radio show, and, and someone called in from uh, South America and said, my brother, who claims to be a Christian, um, now has four, four or five wives that he got down here. He wasn't Mormon. He just thought that polygamy was right. And then he came to know God, and he, and he really uh, believes in God. But he's keeping those wives. Is that right? And I, Chuck Smith said, yes, keep the wives. Because it's already been established. What are you going to do? Take families that have children and wives and then suddenly split it up? God doesn't want that. And, and so uh, it's a radical thing, I know. But what do you do? Do you say to four of them, I'm sorry, you know, we've established a home and children, and he had children with all of them. You're gone. Go out to the street. That's it. He, 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 so he said, it's already been established. It's not right. But, you know, God is, is going to work with that and go on and continue. Don't break up the family. So I think, you know, you have a situation there. David receives all these wives and, and things, and he passed them off to uh, Mesoboshepheth, I think his name was. And he did the right thing, but the Latter-day Saints will use that as a support. It's just not one. We're going to John uh, on Doctrine and Covenants 132. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I was calling because you had been talking about Joseph Smith and his history with polygamy. Yes. Um, I was actually involved in a polygamous group, and, uh, and God rescued me from that. A ministry called Shield and Refuge helped. Oh. And... Uh, and I, I just, I wanted people to know that not only at that time was it miserable for those women and, and soul-destroying for them, but, but it, it still is. And uh, Joseph, uh, not Joseph Smith, there was a famous person in the church that called the, the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith a soul-destroying doctrine. Yeah. It was Joseph Smith's doctrine of polygamy that's destroying people's souls. Yeah. I know because God had to rescue mine. 
Were you a polygamous wife or were you, was your uh, mother a polygamist or, or father or what? I was betrothed. I entered polygamy from the mainstream church because it followed the teachings of Joseph Smith. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, one, let me interrupt for a minute to the audience. If you want to see what early Mormonism looked like, Go down to southern Utah and go to one of the communes there where the wives all are. Go to Colorado City. That is Mormonism from its start. You can see how they lived. You can see the poverty. You can see the woe on the women's faces and the unkept children. That is Mormonism. What you see today still supports that spiritually, but they've cleaned up their image. Well put. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Brooke in Boise, Idaho. Brooke, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hi, Brooke. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. You're on the air. Oh, good. <laughs> I was waiting on hold. I'm like, I'm waiting forever. I know. It's <laughs> I'm a, sitting it's here a... with my husband. Okay. And we're watching your show. Uh-huh. And he's Catholic, and I'm LDS. Okay. And I just have a question. Um. Oh. I'm just kind of curious what your stand is on your belief in God. What's the difference? Why, why are you so anti-LDS, and what's the difference between believing in God? What's well, uh, so wrong about believing in God? We believe in the same God. Okay. I kind of want your answer on that. Okay. Um, well, first of all, I just want to make it clear that I am not anti-Mormon. I'm anti-Mormonism, I'm anti their doctrine, but not you. And uh, I believe that, uh, that people from all faiths can come to have a saving knowledge of God through his son. All right, let me clear that up. That includes Catholics, Mormons, Baptists, whatever. Let me also say that um, the difference is, here is the main difference. The Bible teaches that, you, that people are born in sin and we are alienated from God. All right? You can understand him intellectually. You can believe he exists out there somewhere in the ether. You can call him Heavenly Father. But the Bible teaches that until you have been born again by faith in his son Jesus, who came and was beaten and tortured and put on the cross for you and your sins, that you do not have access to that God. You don't. No matter how much you like the idea of him or think he's a great guy or your Heavenly Father, you have no access to him until you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. Latter-day Saints teach you, and you sing it in primary, I am a child of God, and he has sent me here, has given me an earthly home with parents kind and dear. Italian version, lead a me, a guide a me, a walk a me, a side a me, a help a me, a find a way. And I'm just being funny here. But you don't have access to God who is just incomprehensibly powerful, mighty, and everything else until you have accepted his son. Mormons teach a different thing, and that's what I'm against. Latter Mormons, Latter-day Saints, need to know Jesus on a personal, intimate, regenerative relationship, and that's what we're talking about. Does that help? So you're saying that I, when I pray to God that he's not listening? No, I'm not saying that at all. I mean, God hears the sinner and the, and the saint as, uh, alike. And he blesses you, obviously. He's let you breathe the oxygen he's given you. He lets you enjoy the food and the beautiful uh, surroundings of Boise, Idaho. He's given you life. Yes, he loves you. But you don't have access to him in your spirit until you have understood what his son did for you. Otherwise, his son came as a joke. 
His son wasn't necessary. He was just another religious leader who happened to take it to an extreme. But that's not the case. So you have to have that personal relationship with, with the son in order to have access to the father when you die. If you don't, the Bible and all the religious leaders from Christianity before and after will teach you that. Mormonism does not. So what do you think is the difference between Catholicism and LDS? Catholicism and Mormonism are very similar because they're both very legalistic. They both have rites and rituals and have a lot of different doctrines. But the bottom line is not Catholicism. It's not Mormonism. It's not Methodist or Baptist. It's you personally. Do you know that you have a relationship with God through the Son? That is the important thing. Have you been born again? And the way you can tell that is if you can tell me right now, Brooke, if you got killed, would you go and live with God? So, I love my husband, and he's Catholic. Is that wrong, because I'm LDS? No, no, not at all. The, what, what is wrong is, do you have a relationship with God through his son? And you and your Catholic husband can, can, can build on that. You can build on that, and you can have a relationship with him, where you can both look at Mormonism, look at Catholicism, and look at any religion that puts itself first, and laugh at it, and have a relationship with God directly. And that's what we have, so... Well, then, then, uh, then great. So that's what we have. So then why is it so degrading to be LDS? Well, it, now if we're just going to talk about Mormonism, and I'm going to be quick here because we're running out of time, Mormonism does not take Jesus as enough. You know, and you know as well as I do. In fact, you should be the first one who's complaining. You are not going to go to the celestial kingdom. Uh, and if you do, you'll be a servant there because you're not sealed to your husband in a temple. That is salvation. With Christians, if you accept Jesus and you know he's your savior, you go from death to God. As a Mormon, if you haven't done that, you're not going to go live with God the Father who you, who you say you, you pray to. If you haven't been sealed to your husband in a temple, you're not going to live with God. Do you realize that in Mormon doctrine? Okay, um, so have you been LDS before? I have. Yeah, and you can read all about. Okay. You can read all about. And I relate to that. Then, if you've been LDS before, then you know that, and you know that we believe strongly in our heavenly Father, and we know that He comes first. So, if He comes first, then my husband and I will both be saved. That's not doctrine. It's completely not doctrine. No matter what your nice feelings are. That is not the doctrine. The doctrine is, I don't care how good your feelings are, if you haven't been sealed. The doctrine is that we believe in Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father, who died for us on the cross. And the doctrine, and the doctrine is right? that you have, to be, you have to be sealed in the temple to reach the celestial kingdom. That's the doctrine too, Brooke. And you know that's the case if you've been an active Latter-day Saint. And anybody who's watching I, knows it too. Brooke, we've been on too long. I love you. And keep searching and you'll find the truth. All right, we're going to Dan on line two from Salt Lake City. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. Got a quick uh, Bible question for you. Um, just finished reading the New Testament for the first time, and uh, in fact, finished it today, and was uh, talking with some coworkers today. And uh, my question is about in the in the New Testament, it says in several places, and I think the third to last verse uh, of the New Testament talks about adding to the Word of God. Yeah. And uh, these co-workers of mine are LDS, and their explanation for that is that 
Uh, number one, God can do anything he wants. So if he wants to add to the word of God, and then that's how he did it. And secondly, in the Bible where it says that, uh, you know, nobody is to add to the word of God, um, basically that meant you cannot add to the word of God in that specific book. Book, right. I wanted to get your quick comment on that. Uh, you've probably studied it much more than I have, but I'm coming to know Jesus. I think you're doing a great job. And uh, if you haven't read the New Testament, read it, even if you don't know what it says. You'll, you'll be touched by it. And awesome. I'll uh, hang up and listen to you, Sean. Okay, Dan, thanks. Thanks for the call. Uh, first and foremost, if you use that argument with Latter-day Saints, I personally think it's a very weak one. Uh, at the end of Revelation, it says, do not add or take away from the Word of God. It, Revelation was a book that was given to John on the Isle of Patmos, and after he received that revelation, he, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we know that, that there was extra things that came after he received that revelation. The question then would become, well, did the compilers of the Bible, were they under inspiration when they put revelation at the end of the book? I personally think they were. Latter-day Saints don't think they were. And so that, that the argument doesn't work. The other problem is in Deuteronomy, it says don't add or take away. And we have from Deuteronomy forward all kinds of books and writing. So I don't think Christians should use that argument with Latter-day Saints that you can't add or take away from the Word of God because of what it says in Revelation at the end. Now, that being said, I think the reason that we don't add to this Word of God is because the Old Testament testifies of Jesus to come. The New Testament talks, uh, testifies of Jesus who came. They were special witnesses. They walked with him. They talked with him. They received revelation uh, on what to write about him. And when the apostolic period ended, there's no need after the day of Pentecost for people to continue write more word. Why do you need to write more scripture when you have the words that have been written from firsthand witnesses and you have the gift of the Holy Ghost? There's no need for extra scripture. And so when people say, why wouldn't God uh, write more scripture for us today? Because he's already given us everything that we need and that is sufficient for salvation. I mean, God could have an elephant walk on his trunk down the street and preach the gospel through his feet if he wanted. But he gave us what was necessary. You can come up with anything you want as, well, God could do that, you know. And it's endless. You could do it endlessly. He gave us his word in logical, pragmatic, reasonable way. He had witnesses to Jesus who were human beings. The day of Pentecost came. There was inspiration by the Holy Ghost. They wrote what they saw. It ties into the Old Testament. It's one book you don't need anymore. Hopefully that will help you, Dan. Let's go to Larry on line one. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you? Hey, I just had to call and tell you I have genealogy on that girl that worked in Joseph Smith's house that he married. Really? I'm serious. Wow. And she, she supposedly gives her testimony. Of polygamy? Of polygamy, yes. Mm. So I was going to send that to you. I would love it, Larry. Please. Okay. And I just want you to know, we've been watching your show for, I guess, two months now. I'm a 60-year-old LDS high priest. You've blown me right out of the water in the last two months. Oh, wow. Totally. I don't know whether I'm coming or going. <laughs> I just got your book in the mail today, uh -huh. and I'm going to read it. Oh, and uh, praise God, man. That's awesome. So I'm just telling you, I'm just really scrambling here. Well, can I give you one word of advice? Yes. It's not going to be more than one word, but Larry, don't trust my book. Don't trust your bishop or an, your neighbor or another Christian. You don't can go listen, to church anymore. Listen to all of them if you want. Well, I don't go. Okay. 
Go to God, directly to God, and just say, lead me to truth. That's all I ask. Okay, I'll do it. Now, wait just one sec, because my wife's got a quick question. Okay. Husband wife tag team tonight. Sean. Luckily, he's not a polygamist. We'd be here all night. But up, but. Yes. Why do the LDS worship a false god? They worship Jesus Christ, who is the brother of Satan. Well, they've been taught that, uh, and they believe it because it is an appealing um, fairy tale of a pre-existent uh, place. They all believe they were there, too. It's very empowering. It's very pride-centered. It's very arrogant to believe you've always existed. And you came down, you were really no different than the Son of God, and Satan was once our brother, and they had a parting of ways, and it seems very logical. Families do that, and, and if they do everything right, they can go on to become God. And I really believe that the, at the basic core level of Mormon doctrine is pride. And I think that the, it just appeals to the human pride. And so they, they go with the story. But, um, you know, light and darkness does not well in the same realm of things so that's true it's impossible for them to dwell in the same exactly realm. so satan and christ cannot be brothers right and and for our listening audience what they mean what she means by what's your name mary what mary means by that is in the pre-existent place before we came to this earth latter-day saints believed that god had spirit children and of those spirit children jesus was the first and brightest and lucifer the son of the morning was another spirit child that god had with his wives and that we were all spirit children there and that we all agreed to a plan and satan lucifer actually lucifer went against the plan of the father and there was a war in heaven and there was a split and lucifer became the satan and was cast out with angels. And uh, so that's the whole thinking, why she's saying that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. She's talking about in a pre-existent spiritual, pre-incarnate state. All right, well, you're right about all your points. I appreciate it, Mary. Okay, thanks. Thank you, bye-bye. We're going to John on line three. John, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? I love your program. Thanks. Um, I, I, just, I just had to say something real quick and then I'll get on with my question. Um, I ended up leaving the Mormon Church as a result of the Book of Abraham, but what do you think of this art, new article of faith I made up? It's called, um, actually, it's, We Believe the Book of Abraham, insofar as it's translated correctly, we ask the, the Bible to be the Word of God. <laughs> I think it's funny. Uh, uh, anyway, here's my question. Um, I'm trying to anticipate what LDS's uh, responses to the, the polygamy matter would be. Um, first of all, uh, in DNC 132, doesn't it mention that polygamy is an eternal covenant? Yes. Could you co compare and contrast the differences between Abraham giving the eternal covenant of circumcision and why we no longer, um, well, actually, uh, yeah, I'd like to see a response because uh, LDS uh, I, I, I talked to once actually um, came back to that as a response that since I no longer practice the eternal covenant of circumcision, why is it wrong for polygamy no longer to be an eternal covenant? Right. Um, well, uh, yeah, if, if I could just, uh, get a response from that. Well, um, John, to, to respond to it would almost infer that I agreed that polygamy was an eternal covenant. And so to do that would be very confusing for our listening viewers. I think that uh, circumcision can be uh, readily uh, uh, compared to, for instance, the Sabbath day or uh, tithing because at one time it was required uh, for the children of Israel, but today and it no longer is. 
Um, but to polygamy, which is, was always made up of men, circumcision was not, and neither was the Sabbath day or tithing. But polygamy was made up of men and their ideas of what would work best for them. And so uh, the comparison is not a, it's an apple and orange comparison. Okay. Uh, yeah. That's, that's uh, like I say, I, I mean, I hear some Christians respond to, uh, or try to talk Mormonism through the, the polygamy issue because they argue that it was eternal covenant, and since it was yeah. taken from the face of the earth, that they can no longer... Uh, um, that is, um, basically they're wrong because it was an eternal covenant. And I'm saying, well, wait a minute, doesn't that apply to the Christian with via circumcision? Right. Uh, just whenever they use that it's an eternal covenant, just go back and say Lamech was the first polygamist. He was Cain's son. And, uh, and after Lamech, then we had some other men who adopted it because it just seemed right according to Sarai and, and Abraham and Sarah and Abraham, and it was just men coming up with something that seemed to, to work for them. Uh, you know, I mean, I have to admit to you, uh, polygamy works for me in my mind of the flesh. I mean, why not? I mean, any man, you know, I'd love to be surrounded by a bevy of beauties, burying my children, washing my clothes, cooking my meals, and I'm the god of that little house. I mean, it just plays right into a man's idea. And if, well, and if, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, I appreciate what you're doing on the program, and I'll, I'll let you get to the next caller. Thank you. All right, thanks. Bye. By the way, I don't mean I want to be a polygamist or I like it or believe in it. It was just saying, you know, that just the carnal mind would go that route. Uh, okay. We're going to Philip on line two. Philip and Sandy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Um, this is really the first time I've got to watch your show all the way through. Oh. And I'm impressed. I, oh. I agree with just about everything you, that you say. I just had one comment. What? Um, I think we have to be really careful about being antag antagonistic and not not teaching and leading in love like our Lord would do. Yeah. So that we don't cause more of a rift. You know what I'm saying? I do. And, and push them away rather than bringing them to the truth. I do. I understand that. And I, I really try. But I one thing is, uh, Philip, I have to be true to my personality. Yes. And, and so... Really, my, my personality of loving them does seem to come through. Most of them will say they know I love them, but I do jab them a little bit because I was one of them for so long that I know, I mean, they jab themselves about this stuff. Absolutely. So I hope it doesn't come through that I'm too antagonistic. Um, a, a little bit, but I mean, I can see. I, I, I'm tired of your call. <laughs> What's that? No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, fellas. Hey, Ron, anybody can see that you're doing it in love. All right. And good. it's very obvious that the Holy Spirit's moving in your ministry. I just think we need to be so because they deal with that so much. They do. You know what I mean? I do. And Philip, we have 20 seconds, my friend. i got to let you go. Right on. Thanks for hearing. Thanks for the call. All right. God okay. bless. Bye. Wasn't I nice when I said thanks for the call? I was trying to be all sweet and loving, uh, but I, I was. I love Philip. Listen, tune in next week. Remember Lord's Word this Sunday, 915 to 1015 at the Gateway Theaters. We have Squatter's Pub tonight if you'd like to come. It's a fun time no matter what your beliefs are. Mallory will be there, and uh, uh, we'll have a great time. Love you guys. Latter-day Saints, I love you. We'll see you next week on Heart of the Matter.